Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, it's so good to see my church family. Some of us gathered in this room, many of us gathered online. We've been in a summer-long series called Elevating All of Us, and it's been a look in the Gospel of Luke at how Jesus came alongside people and elevated them. Whoever came in the orbital, gravitational path of Jesus, they found themselves being elevated. And we've looked specifically at how Jesus elevated people who have felt marginalized, uh, not included, rejected, uh, those who weren't seen as worthy, and he comes along and he elevates them. And you notice in the course of the summer, if you've been journeying with us, Jesus encourages people that come around him. And how does he do it? Well, he notices them. How powerful is that to notice people who previously felt unnoticed? He notices them, he includes them, he even welcomes them, welcomes the little children into his presence. And Jesus does something that only he can do. He transforms people, he changes them from the inside out. Whether it started with a healing that pointed to his divinity, that he was the son of God, but he never leaves people the same. When you encounter Jesus, you're never left the same. Well, today, because sometimes, and if you felt rejected or lonely or marginalized or oppressed in any way, I know this summer has already encouraged you with many of the speakers who already taught as we elevated those as Jesus did around him. But we all know this, sometimes in life, and have you ever experienced someone in your life who elevated you by challenging you? They challenged you to be better than you were, to behave differently than you were. And it doesn't always feel good to be challenged, does it? It doesn't always feel comfortable to be challenged. Well, I'm holding this basketball because as I was listening to Pastor Dan's teaching, I couldn't help but remember a basketball coach I had on the varsity team when I was in grade nine. And I was on this team, his name was Mr. Coyle. He was kind of like a leftover hippie. He had long hair, he was 6'4". And it was kind of funny actually watching him even drive on the campus or driving to a game with him because he drove, and some of you might know this car, many of you wouldn't because you're younger, but anyone remember uh, what a Lada car was? It was a small Russian-made car and he was so big, the seat would be pushed back all the way and leaning back just to be able to fit in this car and drive. Well, he was a challenging coach. He brought the best out of us. And I remember in particular one game when I got benched about three minutes into the game and I never got back on the court again. And when the game was all done, he walked down the bench and he looked me in the eye, leaned over this big man, and he said, Smith, why did I bench you? I kind of knew, but before I could answer, he answered. He said, Jonathan, you're not a top five talent. You are not that good. You're not tall enough. You're not a top five talent. The reason why you're on this team, the reason why you start is you bring so much energy and work to the floor that that helps the whole team. But he said this, if you're not going to bring that energy, you didn't bring it. 
And if you don't bring that energy in the games to come, you're going to be sitting right where you're going to be sitting right now for the, for the rest of the games. I got to tell you, it didn't feel good to be challenged that way. But I knew he meant it for good. He didn't challenge me to discourage me. He challenged me because he saw something in me. And you know, his words have echoed in my mind and my thinking whenever I started a new challenge, whether it was a, a, a degree at university or whether it was a, a new job. I always remember, man, I can show up and I can bring that energy and work and I can bring that to what I may lack, I can bring in another area. See, this is the thing with the person of Jesus. And why I'm setting this up is the teaching that Pastor Dan J. is about to bring to us it's one of the more challenging teachings because Jesus turned to his followers and he challenges them. And depending on where you're at in life, sometimes a challenge, challenge can feel demotivating and even de discouraging for some people. But you've got to remember, whenever Jesus challenges us, he means to, it's because he sees something in us. He sees our God potential. He sees what he designed us to be, and he wants us to become the very best version of ourselves. So his challenge is not meant to de-energize us, but to energize us, not to discourage us, but to encourage us. So he's going to challenge us to follow him. And the way we follow him is take up our cross. How do you take up your cross? Listen to Pastor Dan. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Sounds like Jesus was pretty clear in what it takes to be his disciple what we would see as a modern day apprentice. Jesus is step one to follow him. Prioritize me over everything. And step two, follow me. Pretty simple, right? Not really. This thing called life makes it complicated and we're daily at odds with the plan Jesus has for our lives, with the plans we've mapped out for ourselves. So here's a lens I'd love all of us to use to help filter today's talk. We've never arrived being all in with Jesus. Daily, we're elevating him because it makes us less preoccupied with ourselves and more preoccupied for others. So in this scene, Luke identifies a large crowd with Jesus before he puts out this radical invitation. A group of people that I imagine would be similar to us here today, which included Jesus' disciples, political and religious leaders, people of power, people without power, business owners, the nine of fivers, people with a genuine curiosity of who Jesus was, even people that had a mob mentality and had no clue why they were there. But hey, there's a crowd, so why not see what's going on? Something else definitely worth mentioning here is, Jesus uses a literary technique called hyperbole. Basically, in its essence, it exaggerates reality, but helps stress the point that needs to get across. Jesus says, by comparison, you must hate your father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, everybody. And when I looked more into the family system in Jesus' time, you see these familial relationships also pointed at a person's political and economic status, their need for stability and security. 
So Jesus is inviting the crowd to put him as priority over their safety net. You know, he doesn't want to downplay the commitment. So he also says that even your own life comes second to following him. Luke also sets up Jesus' radical ask to the crowd with a parable, a story that is highlighted by an invitation that Jesus gives to everyone in the crowd. So I'll fast forward to the end of the story where Jesus points out two guests who were tied to their material possessions and said no to his invite. Jesus even adds some comic relief into this story that I never saw before. He mentions one person that was invited, purchased land, and another that purchased livestock without even looking at them. Basically saying their excuses were, well, they didn't make any sense. Who purchases land or buys animals, especially at that time, without seeing them? He also points out a third guest who said no because he just got married. (laughs) And part of me wants to believe Jesus sympathized with the person's decision. But he's making it clear that following me is a priority over materialism and even the family system. Do you find yourself in one of these two camps? Tied to the material or tied to the family and friends? If I look deep enough, I think there are days I'm tied to one one day and to another the other day. And some days I'm tied to both. And when you think about it, step one, making Jesus our main priority is hard. Are we supposed to feel guilty? I don't think Jesus, that was his motivation. Charles Spurgeon, a well-known preacher in the 1800s, said this, Excuses are curses, and when you have no excuses left, then there will be hope for you. So how do we determine if Jesus is central? What could help you, and I know what's helped me, is an honest daily gut check of my attitude towards other people, starting at home, at work, school, in public and social settings. Is my priority elevating others, or am I trying to get ahead or get what I want? Another personal identifier for me is my level of anxiety towards a person or situation. I can compare many stages in my life where Jesus was not anywhere close to being the priority. That's where anxiety consumed my life. And if you know anything about anxiety, it gets into every space you give it. Versus when Jesus is central, there I'm living in this unexplainable peace that the Bible talks about. You know, daily we're invited by Jesus, not passively in a, oh, I hope you come kind of invitation, but an invitation that is radically sacrificial, radically self-denying, daily elevating Jesus, making his purposes our priority. So what's Jesus asking you to reconsider today? What's he asking me? Okay, so step one settles that there is a daily journey of giving up our self-interest so that Jesus is elevated in our lives. Then. Jesus asked the crowd to follow him. Again, that's pretty simple, right? He says, follow me, but first carry your cross and then follow me. There's step two. You know, the idea of a cross is probably lost on us today in North America, but in context to the large crowd Jesus was speaking to, this would have been a jaw dropper. I imagine it would have been horrific to compare death by a Roman cross to following Jesus. In fact, One of his closest disciples, Peter, died on a cross. And who knows how many more to this day have lost their lives as they followed Jesus. That's why Jesus is not being passive about the daily sacrifice, the daily denial of our self-interest. I found it interesting that Jesus was talking to a large crowd, but he chose the phrase, your cross, instead of the cross or a cross. He's pointing to our individual cross, made up of our life experiences. Jesus has a way of drilling down deeper and surfacing attitudes, people, things, 
that are taking priority, moving us away from elevating Jesus in our lives. So wherever we find ourselves on this faith journey, hey, maybe you're still in the searching and skeptical area, and maybe you've been following for a long time. That invitation to follow happens every single day. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors and thinkers, wrote an article that helps put into perspective prioritizing Jesus and following him. Discipleship is a journey. In other words, on the one hand, there is a decisiveness. You have to leave. Have you left? To go on the journey means saying, I take my hands off my life. To go on the journey means saying, I give up my right to self-determination. To go on the journey means saying, I will obey you, Lord. And I'll get rid of all the ifs. Not obey if, but obey, period. I drop my conditions, I drop the ifs, they're gone. Not until you see that have you begun the journey. However, after your decisive beginning, the fact remains that it's a journey. It's a process that takes time. You're not gonna have it all together. It's very important to keep that in mind because if you think that discipleship is the way you're saved, that by being committed and focused and giving Jesus the priority, you're going to please God and that you will get saved, you're missing the point. Look at the order. He doesn't say, if you follow me, I'll go to the cross for you. He says, I'm going to the cross for you, so follow me. You're not saved because you're a disciple. You're a disciple if and only you understand what he has done to save you. You know, I think I devalue Jesus' radical invitation and create an impression that following him is simply believing in a few things he teaches, following when it's convenient for my lifestyle, and sacrificing when it's easy. If I'm being real, I lived a life that was self-interested. It was fun, carefree, I had a lot of highs, but they never lasted and it typically was followed by regret. Most of my life story had me wondering why faith and religion wasn't working for me. I kept trying the all-in approach with Jesus, but in hindsight, I was still holding on to my own way of doing things. There were genuine heartfelt moments where I said, you know what, I give up doing it my way. And then life happened again. I pushed Jesus to the fringes. You know, I felt guilt, hurt, disappointed, mostly in myself, but there were times I was disappointed in God. I thought I was doing everything right. That's when it hit me. I had to dig deep to realize that I was still about me. My all-in really was how am I gonna elevate myself? Then I read this biography of someone who was all-in and how he prioritized his life with this simple line, others before me. He aimed to live an other-centered life versus a self-centered life. So he compared it to being tossed into the sea, where he talked about three different places that we could be in. First, it's a place where we're struggling. We're fighting the waves, the winds, and we're not able to help even ourselves. Then he talks about the clinging place, where you're holding on to a boat and you're, you're relatively safe, but you're not able to help anybody else. And then he talks about the all-in place where we're in the boat, two hands free, being able to help others. And that's the place that attracted me. That's the Jesus that I wanted to be like. And so for much of my life, I've been attending Agent Court Church about 24 years. And coming through the building of our Agent Court campus, 24 years of my life, I was completely disengaged beelined it to my seat, didn't say much, basically ignoring the majority of people that would try to talk to me. 
And then I discovered the south lobby of this Agent Court campus. So much traffic of good going on in here. I saw people that have been all in, day after day, week after week, helping others, two hands free to say, God, I'm ready for you to use me. These people served others week after week by providing community at our food bank, meal programs, kids, youth, young adult programming, and even day camps that we ran in the summer and March break. We had a drop-in basketball program, and that's where I met Donovan. And at that time, he was just a friend of one of our young adults. And I was there uh, when he took our Alpha course, a discussion group that explores life, faith, and meaning. And he'd probably say he was the most skeptical of that group. Fast forward long after the Alpha course, he pulls me aside one Sunday and says, man, I think I found this Jesus and accepted him. And two years later, I got to baptize Donovan, his public declaration that he's a follower of Jesus. And now, fast forward two years later, here's where we find each other. It's crazy, it's been four years since I met you. And I remember those days talking to Jojo and she was telling me like, ah, oh, Dan, I met this guy. I don't know, he doesn't love Jesus. And I was like, I met you at basketball at that time. I was like, man, I like this guy. So Joe, don't screw this up. And um, I'm glad we went past basketball. You made it to the Alpha Course, and yeah, I don't know the, the Alpha Course. I was, I was like, I was kind of curious about it. How do Christians react? Like, like how do they, like, how do they uh, interact with each other? Like, what is Jesus about? Then fast forward. Like, you got. I remember the Sunday. Remember we were talking about it. You were the only one in that same row that you were sitting in, and I, you, you kind of hunched over and you said to me, "Yo." Uh, I think Friday I accepted Jesus. And you said it so casually, and I'm like, I don't know how to react. That Friday, before I saw you, um, I was in the car with Jojo, and you know, we had like a heart-to-heart -heart conversation, and you know, that was like about me you know, accepting Christ. Uh, I guess you learned a bit about baptism. Joe must have talked to you about that, that decision to, to yeah. publicly say, hey, this, this is real to me. Getting baptized is like you're like, you. you you have new life, right? You're a new, you're a new person. Yeah. You know? I remember I, I stopped coming to basketball. I, I felt bad schooling you guys, so I yeah, stopped right, coming to ball. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, I had, I, you know, Hillary and I had our, our first kid. Yeah. I remember that one conversation. You, you invited me out to lunch on a Friday. Yeah. But you said something to me that stuck. You said, Dan, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm deepening in my faith, and I want to be a better person for Joe. When I got baptized, you know, it was, it was good for the, the couple months after that. But, you know, life got busy, you know, work. I had him in my back pocket kind of thing, but I just kind of forgot that he was there. Hmm. And I had no idea. Because it's funny, because on the surface, I'd be talking to you and things seemed okay. Yeah. You shared something to me that, that you know, it, it spoke so much to my life too. I bought a bike that was well beyond my financial means. Bio wanted it because, you know, when I want something, I, I really want something. And I'm gonna go out of my way to get that. I couldn't even look at it because it reminded me of all the faults that I've done in my past life, all the bad decisions that I've done. It was like the Holy Spirit convicted me for my actions. When I returned the bike, I felt such a relief. And then you had something that happened literally the week after, you know, with your family, like so much was going on with your family that you're, when you were telling me, you're like, Dan, I can't believe I had all this stuff happen in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, 
the weekend, that weekend, my grandpa, um, he passed on the Saturday. And, um, you know, like I wasn't, um, I wouldn't say close to my grandpa, but like I just haven't seen him for so long. And then him passing was just like, you know, it was just kind of set me back. Mm. Sunday, the next day, I go for, we go for a family ride with Jodo's family, which we usually do it once a week. And halfway into the ride, um, Jojo's cousin um, hits a heart attack. We're just praying, just, you know, for him to come back. Yeah. And I kid you not, an hour after, He's Jojo's calling. cousin calls us. He's like, hey guys, uh, sorry for dying. We start <laughs> like, we're crying and we're laughing. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But it was just like, um, you know, it was a, um, it was an emotional week for me. These th these th events stacking up um, and hitting you like a ton of bricks kind of gut checked you and said like, man, am I all in with God? Am I, am I doing this right? And where are you now? Because after that conversation, your tone just changed. You're like, Dan, it's, it's, I'm not going back there. I'm yeah, like, because like that whole week, that whole sequence of events, I was just like, you know, God, like, I'm all in, man, like, you know, I don't know what I was doing, but you know, you answered my prayers. You know, you, you know, you saved Jojo's cousin. At that point, you know, uh, instead of him in my back pocket, I put him in my front pocket. Mm -hmm. Hearing your story and be like, yeah, yeah, Donovan, I was there, and encouraging you that you know don't feel guilty because yeah, you made this decision when you were baptized. You made this decision when you know after the Alpha course that you wanted to follow Jesus. And I think we kept talking and saying like, man, don't feel guilty. Like this is just part of the journey. And man, this is just the start. You're, you're engaged, I hear? Yeah, man. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like uh, Jojo, which is now my fiance. That's big. Yeah, it's big, man. Well, listen, man. this commitment is completely different. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's, it, <laughs> it is, it is, you're gonna sacrifice a lot. And I love the, the, the comparison of going all in there. Yeah. And man, I'm, I'm excited to see where this journey keeps going. Yeah. I love that this is reciprocal, so. Well, I told you this would be a challenging teaching and these words of Jesus have ricocheted in my heart and mind for my entire journey as a follower of Christ because the challenge to be all in, um, there's no loopholes, right? There's no loopholes or, or segues from it. Uh, Jesus is front facing us and just like that basketball coach leaning over me and, you know, calling me out in a way that I need it. And uh, that, that hyperbole that Jesus uses is one of the litmus tests and the hard reality, you know, like in, yeah. in comparison. Jesus is never teaching us to, to hate our family, our father, mother, brother, sisters. But in, just in comparison, all those things you love in this world, whether it's your pursuits, ambitions, whether it's uh, people, whether it's your career, your money, your research, whatever you got. It's in comparison, your love and devotion for Jesus, your passion for him makes all those things almost look like you despise them. Yep. But that type of challenge is hard to live. That type of challenge is hard to engage in. Absolutely. And the Apostle Paul, and I'm gonna ask you about this, so just preemptively, sure. because uh, I really feel like how we set 
uh, the tone for our lives is so important. The Apostle Paul kind of picks up on this challenge of Jesus and helps us unpack it in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And in the message version, it says this. And I like how it starts. It says, so here's what I want you to do. Right to it. I right to it, exactly, Rich. Like, I like that when someone just like, clarity, here's what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. Not, not, hey, wondering if, but just here's what I want you to do. Got With God helping you, which is critical, Take your everyday ordinary life, and he mentions this, you're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, and walking around life, so everything, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Like, what does God want from us? Embrace what he's done for us. So the idea, though, of giving everything as an offering to God, that that's that's tough how does that how do you work that out in your life i think one of the things that um i've kind of placed as a discipline in my life this last year is how i start my morning kind of thing Mm. often you know for many of us especially some of the younger guys you open up your social media first or your phone you check your messages your emails um but sometimes just that simple prayer that jesus prayed thine thine not mine yeah and just literally surrendering every aspect of my life in the from the morning say god whatever's going to happen today lead me help me to surrender it help me not hold on to it and that's a a healthy posture for me to kind of daily surrender right try my best not perfectly no but you got to do it that's what i loved about donovan and pastor dan's story they're not stories of perfection they're they're real stories that we all engage in as disciples of jesus where we have moments where we feel like we're all in have you had that friends you feel like man i'm all in and you know those all-in moments for me have looked like when I'm desperate. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you got any of those all-in moments? I mean, you know, conferences and just those big moments. Yeah, when it's emotive and you're feeling, yeah. and those are real. Absolutely. But those all-in moments don't seem to last. So yeah. that daily surrender becomes critical. Discipline. Yeah. So the Apostle Paul continues and he says this. I love this because a bit of a warning, saying, "Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking." Think about that, man. I, that, that's so easy to do. Yep. Instead, here's your admonition. Fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. So Religion and even this world deals with the outside and hoping it gets in. All the time. And Jesus always goes for the inside and working it out. Yep. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. That's the obedience piece, right? Yeah. What do you want from me, Jesus? And quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. I uh, mean, I'm on social media too. Yeah. And man, sometimes I've watched Christians just get dragged down to the cultural level of immaturity. Yes, sir. Instead, it says this, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's good. So I think about the moments I've been challenged. You grew up as a PK. Yeah. You're in a pastor's home. Right. Was that challenging? Absolutely. I think for me, the most challenging thing about that is there's this expectation from you as the child of a pastor to hit it. And if anything, that kind of pushed me away from, from God, you know, and, yeah. and what was also beautiful about that is I was able to find Jesus in my own way. It wasn't salvation by family member or my dad's job. Right. I had to really discover and surrender a lot of aspect of my life on my own without anyone else doing it for me and i think 
that's just the beautiful way that Jesus find find us in different ways and different journey and that's really cool you know so but yeah absolutely it was tough man that, like even as a pastor I've been pastoring for 28 years I, I know you're uh, 32 so yeah, yeah I'm 32 right. yeah, that's right you when you're four years old that's great I think about how people look for perfection in a leader uh, or something like that yeah. and and so I've tried to be so real with you guys and my family's not perfect I'm not perfect far from it mm. uh, because I, I don't think we resonate with perfection except found in Jesus yeah, because we're all flawed and we're all on a journey like Donovan and Dan. And so here, here's my challenge as we head to a moment of prayer. Mm. Let me ask you this question and only you can answer this. What version of Jesus are you following? Mm. Think about that. Are you following a version of Jesus that you fashioned in your own image? I mean, you know you are following a version of Jesus you fashioned when when that version of Jesus only hugs you, only accepts you, only touches you to heal you, but never corrects you, never challenges you. Well, you're following a version of Jesus you've created. Mm. Or you know you're following a version of Jesus you've created if Jesus hates all the people you hate and loves all the people you love and likes all the things you like and never challenges you to love people that are hard to love, mm. to forgive people that you just seem to can't forgive. So are you following a version of Jesus you've cre you fashioned or are you following Jesus and allowing him to fashion you? Is he the potter and are you the clay? And if that's the case, how can the clay say to Jesus or say to the potter, this is what needs to happen? Instead, the clay surrenders itself to the hands of the potter and allows him to craft and heal and restore and to make us new. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to have Pastor Richard lead any of us that might be online and you might be saying or in the room today in our physical gathering, you might be saying, listen, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I, I may have been. I may never have been, but I know today I want to start on that journey that Pastor Dan was describing to follow Jesus. And then I'm going to follow it up by praying for all of us who are followers of Jesus, because I found this teaching so challenging. Yeah. Maybe we need to put some offerings before Jesus today of things that we maybe have held on to too tightly. Mm -hmm. So let's go to God in prayer. Let's yes, posture our hearts to do that. Well, Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity for us to be able to learn more about who you are, Father. But I'm praying specifically for some of my friends that perhaps the truth and the things that Pastor Dan and even Donovan's story have really encouraged them, uh, encouraged them and challenged them in such a way to start this, this journey with, uh, with you, Jesus. Um, and so God, I, I pray that we're a community that we're able to just love them and accept them. But Jesus, maybe in this moment, friends, if you're, uh, you can resonate with these words that I kind of use, these are sort of the words that I use when I first accepted Jesus when I was 16, 17, whatever it was. It's simply saying this, Jesus, there's these barriers and filters that I put on myself saying I'm too young to start following you or maybe it's too late for me to, to follow you and there's so many messes in my life to be able to enter into this relationship with you and this journey. But Jesus, help me to surrender that, yes. that thing that's making it so hard for me to surrender, to see you as the the person who is in charge, who is, who's first, who's, who's the one who's gonna take care of my, my needs and fulfill my needs. So God, 
I surrender what that is. And mm. as I'm starting this journey with you today, Jesus, in this relationship, as I go through it in this community or where, whoever is going to be around me, help me to surrender different aspects of my life as I continue to be all in and to surrender every aspect of my life. Mm. In Jesus' name I pray. And Father, uh, there's a great many of us who've been following your son Jesus for many years. But we acknowledge today that we are in need of constant moments of reset. And God, we today, and I invite you friends, whatever it is that maybe has superseded Jesus in your life, maybe it's relationships, maybe maybe it's uh, uh, things that we're pursuing and passions that we're growing, but they've kind of superseded our passion and ambition and heart for Jesus. Maybe to just hold that in your hands in front of you and say, I surrender. I surrender these things. I offer them up to you, Jesus. I want to be in second, and I want everything around me to be in second so that you can be in first in my life. And I know this, by making you first, by finding my truest satisfaction in you, Jesus, I am better able to love the people you've placed in my life and serve and actually able to put others before me because I've had my essential need of love and connection meant in you. It's no longer looking for others just to serve me. I'm able to serve others. So Jesus, forgive us. Like straight up, forgive us, God, for those things that we allow to clutter our relationship with you. And we say today, you are first. We are taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following Jesus. Restore to us the joy of our salvation that we might bring that joy and peace and love to everyone that we encounter in the world around us, in the immediate world, and in the virtual world. Mm. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, the risen Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.